What is up, Houdat Nation? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook and a part of the Boot Crew Media Network. This episode, we're going to talk about the Saints-Vikings game coming up in London. Should be a really exciting one for that and see if they can get back on the right track. We're going to discuss Jameis Winston's injury situation and what they should do at quarterback. And we're also going to talk about the situation going on with Alvin Kamara in the passing game. That's something that a lot of people want to see more of and if they could figure that out. So we're going to talk about all that coming up here on the Straight Up Saints podcast. And we'll also have a special guest on in Matthew Collar, and we'll talk about all that. So it should be pretty fun to get through all that. And, of course, see if this team can figure out what's going on offense because, man, it's a mess. All that coming up here, Straight Up Saints podcast. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast. Like I said, we have a special guest for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast, and that is Matthew Collar of uh, covering the Minnesota Vikings for Purple Insider, and he also does work for Hot Routes, both part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Matthew, thank you for coming on, man. How's everything? Uh, everything is going well. I'm uh, excited about this football contest. That uh, I think it matches up two teams that maybe want a little bit more than what they've seen so far. Yeah, that, that's for certain. I will say, though, um, you know, Saints fans will probably listen to this and go, well, at least the Vikings are, you know, two and one relative compared to the, the Saints one and two in the way that's gone down. But I'm curious, before we get into, you know, injury reports, matchups and things of that sort, I think the Vikings were a team that for some people, um, I know they had them, whether it's a dark horse Super Bowl contender or talking about whether or not they can threaten for the NFC North title. Only three weeks, two and one. They've had some flashes where they look good in division games, and they had that Eagles matchup, obviously, uh, that didn't go their way. In terms of what you've seen from Minnesota, where are you at in terms of comfort, comfort level? They hit your expectations? Have they exceeded them? Have they fallen a little bit below? I know they still have time to work through things, but what's kind of your early assessment of them? I think this team has been kind of who I thought they were going to be, whether they're who fans thought they were going to be might be a little bit of a different story because anytime you fire a coach and hire a new guy, the everything that the last guy did was wrong and the new guy has all the answers and everything's going to be so much better and none of the flaws will exist anymore and they'll just go poof and they'll go to the Super Bowl. Uh, but three weeks in, I think the flaws of the team that have existed in recent years with Kirk Cousins as the quarterback, they still exist, which means there are long sections of games where the offense is not executing and the offense isn't producing in the way that they wanted. And the thing about Kevin O'Connell is he came in with, I think, a very complicated offense that was very different from what they were doing before under Mike Zimmer. And the learning curve was pretty steep. And all the players admitted that the learning curve was pretty steep. And I think we've really seen that come to fruition over the first few weeks. They had a really good day against Green Bay, but it was on the back of a couple of really big explosive plays as opposed to consistent execution. And then when they went to Philadelphia, it was clear, okay, there's a lot to work on here, but now you know, you go against Detroit and they lock down Jeff Okuda on Justin Jefferson. And it's all of a sudden a little bit different than anything we had seen before in terms of defenses playing against Justin Jefferson. So now you're asking the Vikings to adapt a little bit. Um, and also, you know, they haven't pushed the ball down the field like people thought they were going to. Kirk Cousins is in the bottom three and average depth of target, which is really surprising considering like how they draw up this offense. You think about the Rams with Matt Stafford did a lot of pushing the ball down the field because they had Matt Stafford's arm. But I think Kevin O'Connell is maybe finding out that Kirk Cousins is not Matthew Stafford in terms of his physical talent 
or even on this the same page with his wide receivers in the way that Stafford became throughout that season with Cooper Cup. And and we're also talking about a coach who's calling plays for the first time and managing a game for the first time. So he's talking to the refs. He's figuring out if they're going for it on fourth down. He's dealing with everything. And I think that even Kevin O'Connell has said and would admit that at times it's it's been an adjustment for him. So I think that at this moment, they've shown some reasons to believe that they're not going to be that dark horse team that totally shocks everyone. And I'm sure we'll talk about the defense as well, which has given up a lot of yardage um, and is probably lucky to have not given up more points so far based on the way they've played. And I think that for some fans, that's a bit of a, you know, wind out of the sails type of thing, but then also you kind of pull your head above the water of the day to day and look around and go, there's a lot of NFC teams that have the same problems. Um, and, and that are not that impressive. And you look at the schedule here, if the Vikings get a win against new Orleans, they face Chicago and then like it can sort of snowball in a good way for them as the season goes along. So I think the early returns, um, the fact that they're two and one, I think is probably like the best possible result for them, but how it's happened has left a lot of room for us to say, is this team really going to be a playoff team or a legitimate contender? Yes, certainly. And you mentioned, you know, some interesting stuff about Kirk Cousins. I feel like there's always no middle ground with Kirk Cousins. I, I, you know, I see people just nonstop slandering the guy and talking about what he can't do. And then there's the other side that I think almost overhyped him a little bit too much. I saw a couple of people with MVP predictions coming into this season, whether it was Michael Irving or Kyle Brandt. I'm, I'm curious for someone who's watching, you know, all 17 games of Minnesota. What is the confidence level in Kirk Cousins? Does it change now that there's new coaching staff? Or are you maybe a little discouraged? Like as you mentioned, he is a Matthew Stafford as we're seeing, whether it's the arm talent or just you know the way he manufactures the offense. Where's that level at? Because you know you look around, you mention uh, the weapons this team has, and you know Saints fans would know, especially from their their love for LSU, how dangerous a guy like Justin Jefferson could be. So what what's kind of the confidence level of Kirk Cousins? Do you at least? And I know it's so early in this season. But this isn't just a one-season thing for Kirk Cousins. He's been in Minnesota for a while now. Is he the type of guy that you think Minnesota could get over the hump with? Yeah, it's ironic that um, you're right to say there isn't middle ground, but that's exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, look at any quarterback ranking, not just one of them, but all of them, whether it's ESPN talking to executives or some random writer, where do they have Kirk Cousins? 14th? 12th, 17th, somewhere in between. And that's really where it belongs. And the other ironic part about that is that Cousins is either great or not good. And those are the only two Kirk Cousins that you're ever going to see on a given Sunday. So he has sometimes, and you saw this against the Packers game, absolutely spectacular performances where he puts up huge numbers and they win and the offense looks great. And you think, man, if you could just do that every week, he would win MVP, which is probably where some of that comes from, but it doesn't happen every week. It's more like a home run hitter who has, uh, you know, 12 home runs in May and three home runs in, in June. That's kind of what cousins is. And oftentimes that's dictated by how good the opposing defense is. So when you're going up against teams that have great opposing defenses, and we saw this in the playoffs, you know, a couple of years ago when the saints defense wasn't quite as good, he was able to do pretty well and beat them in the playoffs. The next week they went against the very good San Francisco defense that completely shut them down. And it's usually about circumstances. It's, are they running the ball well that day? Uh, You know, does anybody drop a pass? Like in Philadelphia, there was a big drop and it seemed to kind of unravel everything, um, you know, after that. And it's kind of like when you have somebody that needs 
perfect circumstances, needs receivers running open, needs the play caller to get it right, needs the game management to be right, needs all the receivers to be healthy, needs the offensive line to perform at a high level in order to put up those great games. Well, that's what you have in kind of a mid-pack quarterback and one that ends up around 500 all the time. And I think that, you know, when we look at win-loss records, there are some people who say, throw it all out. Although in New Orleans, I mean, I hope they don't do that in New Orleans because it's uh, no coincidence that with Drew Brees, they won all the games. And then with everyone else, they did not win all the games. Um, But, uh, you know, I think that Cousins, though, when you look at that 500 record, you could kind of reverse engineer it and say, well, this, this actually makes a lot of sense. And the question is whether there's anyone who can ever unlock that enough to get it to more than just that 500 record. And maybe the only thing that can do it is actually an easy schedule and taking advantage of an easy schedule because that's what happened in 2019. So I, I think that uh, there's a lot of reasons to think that Kirk Cousins can take them somewhere. There's probably more evidence to suggest that no matter what you do, no matter what scheme, no matter what receiver, it's been Stefan Diggs here, it's been Justin Jefferson here, that it's just not really going to change. And I think that that kind of was a gut punch for people in week two against Philadelphia, where he had one of those games for Cousins. It's like, well, this is who you have. And the Vikings fans basically just have to hang on for the wild ride. That is Kirk cousins and hope that there are more of those really good performances than there are bad. Yeah. And you know, funny you mentioned that. I think that's kind of the situation that saints fans are, are in. And, and I've kind of noticed throughout, you know, the first two weeks of this season, you see good Jameis Winston week one. And then obviously the last two weeks have been, um, you know, not pleasant to say the least. I want to get into the injury report for, I know for the Saints, it's really a mess right now. Jameis, Michael Thomas, you know, Jarvis Landry, Andrews, Pete, all those guys missing practice. From the Vikings side of things, I know the the main talk here is kind of Dalvin Cook and what's going on there. Uh, So I'm curious, Matthew, from your perspective, I know after the injury occurred last week, everyone immediately kind of shifted focus to week four and said he should be good to go. Has that changed at all? Should we expect Dalvin out there? What's kind of the expectation right now? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, be, and I don't think that they are either. Delvin Cook said he was taking it day by day. Then uh, Kevin O'Connell said it was day to day. And then Delvin Cook didn't practice. And usually if he doesn't practice on a Wednesday, it's not a guarantee that he won't play. But it certainly makes it more likely that he won't play. And then we're also factoring in some pretty significant travel that has to go into this too that really cuts down uh, just the time overall. They're going to fly out after a practice on Thursday, get there on Friday, and then practice right away again. There's not a whole lot of time uh, for him to do all the recovery things that he might be doing. And there's also a long-term element to this. It's a shoulder injury. It's one that he's had kind of persistently over the last couple of years. 2019, it initially happened. And then last year against San Francisco, kind of had the same problem. And then here again. uh, So I think that if they have the long-term in mind, they probably won't play Dalvin Cook. But the thing about the Vikings running game has been, since Alexander Madison got here, I'm not saying there's no difference between the two, but the difference, if there was a huge one when Alexander Madison first got here, it's reduced because of the number of injuries that Delvin Cook has had. When those two are in the game, even just from my eye, it's kind of hard to tell which guy is which. I mean, they have a similar style. Uh, Madison is a little more bruising, but Cook, I think once upon a time, was just lightning fast. And I don't know that that same quickness is still there. It's kind of like Ezekiel Elliott, where he's still really good, but you don't see that that burst that you, you saw when he was younger. And I think injuries have really taken their toll. So I look at it as, even if he doesn't play, 
the running game should still be fine with Alexander Madison. And it might be smarter for them to just not play Delvin Cook and risk further injury uh, when you have a running back behind him who's very competent. Yeah, and, you know, looking at the rest of the injury report, when you see it, C.J. Ham, Andrew Booth, Zadarius Smith, you know, out of those names, and, and hopefully everyone ends up playing, I think the one thing that I go into, and people talk about it all the time, is I know people put their fan hat on, and that's why they, they, you know, they say the things that they do, but I'd love to see every team at full strength every single week. That's what my preference. In the event that Minnesota is down one of those other mentioned names, what's kind of the guy there that you think is a huge X factor, and man, without him, Minnesota's not the same team? Oh, it's easily Zadarius Smith. I mean, when Zadarius Smith is fully healthy, he is a force. I mean, they line him up all over the field. Uh, he can beat tackles. He can beat guards. He can do a lot of different things for them. There's also no fallback option. Like for the running back position, if Cook doesn't play, I mean, you look at how Alexander Madison has performed when he's had to start. He's just been, he's been good. Uh, but you look behind Zadarius Smith and there is not much to write home about. Uh, DJ Wanham has a higher sack total than his performance would indicate. If that makes sense, like it's a lot of cleanup sacks and things like that. Uh, and he's not a viable starter as he's kind of shown over the last couple of years. Uh, Patrick Jones has gotten a lot of snaps for them. He's a third round pick from last year that has flashed a little, but you're not talking about one of the premier rushers in the league who has been toward the top in pressures when he's been healthy in 2019 and 2020. And they really need to pair Zadarius Smith with Daniil Hunter, because if Daniil Hunter is getting all the attention, I don't think he's quite that guy like a TJ Watt or something or a Nick Bosa who can just blast through everybody if he's getting a little extra attention. I think that they can slow him down uh, with that possibility if he's kind of alone out there. So Zadarius Smith's health is a big deal. And they do use the fullback quite a bit, um, but I, I don't know that they um, – you know, couldn't survive without it, but CJ Ham is, is an effective player. Andrew Booth is one of those guys that uh, might be a failure to launch player. I mean, he was drafted in the second round. The expectations were high. The secondary has not been very good so far for the Vikings, but he's just been hurt really from, from day one he, in training camp and preseason. He got hurt, gets into the first game of the season, gets hurt again. Um, so we we've yet to see him, but he's not a starter. He would have been just depth for them. It's really Zadarius Smith. Who's going to, kind of hold the keys to whether they can pressure the quarterback or not. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I mentioned before, Saints fans, because the LSU connection will always love Justin Jefferson. I remember week one just watching the Packers-Vikings game. We're talking about how great he is. And he's still a great player, don't get me wrong, and, and, and arguably the best in the league. For what's kind of been the reason, though, uh, Matthew, when you see the, the week one numbers and how dominant he was, it was a fantastic performance, 180-plus yards. And then you see the next two weeks where that production isn't on that, you know, grand scale – are defenses giving him new looks? Is it bracket coverage or double teams? What, what have you kind of seen so far um, You know that, that we haven't really seen Justin Jefferson re replicate what we're used to seeing? Yeah, to uh, channel Kirk Cousins, it's a combination of things, which is kind of one of his <laughs> sayings, but he's, he's right on this. It's definitely bracket coverage. I mean, they are double teaming him. Philadelphia did. I don't know what Green Bay was doing, to tell you the truth. If anybody goes back and looks at the film of that game, it is shocking. Like he was lined up against Quay Walker at one point, lined up against Preston Smith at one point, and that went exactly how you would expect. But the next two teams they faced did not make that same mistake. Darius Slay was guarding him, and then Jeff Okuda, who was allowed to be by the referees, 
Uh, not to make an excuse, but when you look at it on tape, it's like, okay, wow, he's very physical in that game. Uh, and then they always had a safety over the top of Jefferson on almost every play that it was really that shadow coverage, which doesn't happen a whole lot. We don't see Revis islands very much, but I think this is going to be the strategy and probably should be for the saints too, with Marshawn Lattimore, line him up right at the line of scrimmage on Jefferson, keep his safety over the top of him, and demand that somebody else beats you. Because right now that's really the biggest factor is that they have not done anything to force opponents to say, okay, okay, we can't double Justin Jefferson all the time. Adam Thielen has gotten off to a bit of a slow start here. There's certainly a question when a guy gets to his age, whether he could still get open the same way he used to KJ Osborne made a big catch at the end of the game uh, against Detroit, but has not been a huge factor so far. And the guy who's been the biggest disappointment and he's coming back from a serious injury. So I'm not shocked by this, but Irv Smith jr. Whose saints fans would be familiar with his dad, Irv Smith. Uh, he has just not really gotten things going so far. Those are the weapons that they're relying on a ton to force opponents to pay attention. Otherwise, those guys have to win one-on-ones when they get them. And so far, they just haven't. But I still also think it's not really an excuse to have double coverage shut down your top receiver because Cooper Cup can get 140 catches or whatever. Devontae Adams can get 120 catches. Stephon Diggs can get over 100 catches. All these guys demand the same type of attention as Jefferson. And I think that it sort of draws back to They're running a complicated offense that I'm not sure everybody really understands on the same page. And the reality too of Kirk Cousins, and this is one of the reasons Stephon Diggs is in Buffalo, is that Kirk Cousins does not force the ball into coverage. If a guy is covered, he is going to go to a different place. I don't think that he trusts the velo on the arm to fit it into tight windows. He's never done it. It's not going to change. And I think there were times last year where Justin Jefferson was frustrated. And Mike Zimmer, even last year, came out and said, we need you to force the ball to Justin Jefferson more. And uh, I don't know that he really did it much more. It's pretty much when he was able to get open, then Cousins would throw him the ball. But now that they're doubling him up, it's something they're going to have to adjust to. They're going to have to find a way to get away from those double teams, whether it's motion, whether it's the splits that they're lining up in, whatever it might be. Uh, because they've allowed two teams in a row to take him out of the game plan, which is a huge win for their defenses. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned with Marshawn Lattimore, that'll probably be the matchup. I know uh, when I go into that game, that's going to be the one that that everyone's going to have their eyes on, especially me. I'm, I'm going to be glued to that and see how it goes, because these are two of the top guys at their position. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, we talked about what he can and can't do. What I'm you know, looking at from last week's game with Detroit I saw that he was pressured 31% of his throws and, and hit seven times. Is that something that is maybe going to linger going into week by week? What's kind of the status of the, the Vikings offensive line? I know that when people go down the checklist of looking at Minnesota, that maybe, you know, it's not the the appealing position group that people want to talk about. And that's for every NFL team. Uh, but what's the confidence level like in the offensive line, especially after last week's performance? Yeah, something that's really interesting that's sort of developed over the last two weeks is that teams are blitzing a lot. And normally they don't blitz Kirk Cousins a lot because historically his numbers are actually quite good against the blitz, but not all blitzes are created equal, right? And it seems that Detroit and Philadelphia both really understood the right times to pick their spots against Cousins. And the reality of Kirk Cousins is he is the least mobile quarterback in the entire NFL. And I I don't even think it's close that he's number one. And they know this, right? He's not 
tall either. He's about six foot two. So when you can get in his face, it's always been a problem for cousins. If you can get guys pushing the pocket back pressure up the middle, which it's been kind of, you know, on and off Philadelphia did it quite well. Uh, Detroit didn't get the pressure up the middle quite as much, but they did blitz him and force him to hurry up a couple of times. But I think that the biggest thing is if he's not a hundred percent locked in, to the offense what like he was before because he was with a Kubiak style offense for three straight seasons where he understood where uh, the phrase he likes to use is where all the bones are buried. Like you understood every element of that offense after being in it for so long. And I think with this one, there's that little tick of wait, where am I supposed to go with the ball when this blitz comes? And I think that's caused them to have some, some tip balls, um, some bad throws. He threw a couple of interceptions. I think all of his interceptions were against the blitz in Philadelphia. So what has normally been a thing that teams try to stay away from a bit and play coverage and make him throw into those tight windows. I think now that they're getting a little more brazen with the blitzing. And, and plus if people don't believe that Adam Thielen can win one-on-one, they're, they're going to do that, right? They're going to say, beat us, show that you can beat us at your age, Adam Thielen. And thus far that hasn't really happened, but you know, we'll see how they adapt as they go along. But I think that's going to be a huge factor. And, and I'm interested to see what new Orleans takes away from how the last two teams have blitzed more than usual against cousins. Yeah. And that, you know, you bring up the Thielen thing. I think that's going to be interesting. Cause I remember when we look back at all these saints battles, whether it's the, the Minnesota miracle one, or you look at the wild card round that the Vikings won in the dome, I remember the Saints just didn't have an answer for Adam Thielen. So if it's not the same version of Adam Thielen, I'm curious how that changes. And the Saints also do now finally have a number two cornerback who they feel like they can trust in Paulson Adebo. Maybe that changes things up. But again, two teams that have been a little inconsistent. I'd say the Vikings, the good thing is they've won two division games now, which is a a good start for them. Um, Before I let you out here, uh, Matthew, I'm curious, what are for you maybe one or two X factors besides that we've mentioned um, that you think are going to dictate this game uh, and how, what's kind of the confidence level you're feeling for the Vikings going into this against, I'll be honest, a, a reeling Saints team as of now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, I'm interested to see who starts a quarterback for the Saints. I actually think it's worse for the Vikings if Andy Dalton starts because right now the Vikings do not trust their secondary. It's very clear. They are playing the, whatever you call it, shell umbrella. They are saying, Look, if you can complete eight passes in a row to get down the field and score a touchdown, go ahead and do it. But we're going to play back. We're going to let you run the football a little. We're going to let you complete underneath passes. And Jalen Hurts said, okay, I'll complete 80% of my passes and run for a 20-yard touchdown as well. But if there's anybody who could just drop back consistently and execute the offense, I think it's Andy Dalton much more than it is Jameis Winston, who's much more likely to throw a bad interception into coverage. Um, So that's an interesting one to watch for me. And I think just in general, whether the Vikings can create any pressure. I mean, I think that their offense should kind of have a bounce back. They've probably put a lot of hours into what's gone wrong over the last two weeks offensively. I do not expect Justin Jefferson to end up with three catches for 14 yards very often. Um, so I, I would expect that he has a much better day and and maybe one of those big breakout days that he is you know prone to having. But on the defensive side, Um, can they slow down a a Saints offense that, like you said, reeling is a good way to put it, that they have uh, 
has struggled quite a bit. And I think that decision of where they decide to go a quarterback could honestly be the factor that decides this game. It actually wasn't that long ago, uh, two years ago, that Andy Dalton came in as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and did just what I said right, right now. Like he delivered quick passes and got his receivers the ball. He made one or two plays and Dallas won that game. Uh, that we, we could see that again if he plays. If Winston plays, I don't know if I have a ton of confidence. I mean, that is a that is a very broken man. Um, so I don't even know if they give him time to throw, if he can uh, execute the passes he would need to in order to win the game. Yeah, look, and, and trust me, you don't want to see Saints Twitter right now with what's been going on. A lot of arguing about the quarterback situation. And I think broken is the right word to use right now for Jameis in the sense that physically the man's dealing with three separate injuries right now. So uh, we'll see what goes on there. Matthew, before I let you go, let everyone know where they can find your work, especially um, you know Saints are playing the Vikings. Good week for anyone who's looking for updates on Minnesota's team to check out your stuff. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, purpleinsider.com is the main website, the Purple Insider podcast, and uh, the Hot Routes podcast as well. I just launched that this year. Um, that's more pertaining to the entire league. Just uh, I wanted to talk more football. So we started the Hot Routes podcast so people can look for that. And Hot Routes is spelled with a Z because I grew up in the early 90s when all the rappers put a Z on everything. So that's why I did that. Hey, I like it. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. And we'll see how everything shakes out on Sunday. All right. Thanks for having me. Once again, guys, that was Matthew Collar, and, and he's done fantastic work. Um, so if you want to check him out on Twitter, go ahead. Now, that being said, our little you know preview and talking about what's going on in Minnesota and, and that side of the, uh, the land is over. Let's just talk Saints, strictly Saints, straight up Saints here. And uh, if you guys have any comments, suggestions, topics you want me to discuss, drop it in and I will bring that up. For the last 10 minutes of the show, I'll let you guys dictate what we talk about. Um, so drop in your comments from now, and we'll get to it. Before I do that, though, I want to talk about the Saints quarterback situation. I said I was going to talk about it before I went on, and I will fulfill that promise. So let's let's discuss Jameis Winston, because I think this is something that is just not going to go away until the Saints sit him. And this is not me saying that Jameis Winston should get benched off of the fact that he's struggling. I'm talking about right now. Jameis Winston does not look like Jameis Winston at all. Now, people are going to say, of course he looks like Jameis Winston. He threw five picks through two games. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is in week two, I watched Jameis Winston struggle, but I saw he made the right, he was making solid reads, and I thought that a lot of his mistakes were just inaccurate passes that he could get corrected. And then week three happened, and I watched Jameis Winston, and I thought that he couldn't move because of his injuries. And I've said it once, and I'll say it again, if Jameis wants to play through the injuries, which he said is his plan, although he didn't practice Wednesday, he said he will be back on Thursday and plans on playing Sunday, you are opening yourself up to that criticism. And if Jameis Winston does play and he does have another horrible game, I'll have to be here on this podcast and talking about it on Twitter and be honest with my thoughts about if he played poorly and, and, and just dissect that. That being said, I just don't think he should play right now. If he needs to rehab his hip flexors, his ankle, his back, and mispractices, and changes pregame routine, and he doesn't look right, and he can't run for a first down when it's there. When do you decide to rest him? And I said this all the time, and I will always say this. I think you have to save the player from themselves sometimes because they're such competitors that they just they got to be out on the, on the football field, and you can't stop them from doing so. But I look at this team, and I, I just don't understand how, with the way they're built, they think putting out Jameis, who's dealing with three separate injuries, is their best, their best bet. 
And, and again, I say this only because the Saints spent on Andy Dalton. If the Saints had a different quarterback situation in the backup spot right now, right? Like they didn't go out to get a premium backup. Then by all means, we're sitting here like, oh man, I hope to God that he kind of plays through these injuries and, and, and he just toughens it out. But right now I'm saying the best bet is to play Andy Dalton because James Winston looks broken through the injuries and bad decision-making. And it's just not a good combo right now. And again, this is not me beating up on the guy. In week one, I gave him all the credit in the world because that was one of the best performances he's had. I really think that fourth quarter was the best quarter of football Jameis Winston's had in the NFL. He was outstanding. But I'm trying to be objective, and he just hasn't looked good. And I understand why he's not sitting because if he does sit on his own merit and Andy Dalton comes in and Andy Dalton looks decent and the Saints are winning games, maybe that's the end of his run in New Orleans. So I totally get that. But man, sometimes I wish this coaching staff would just stand up and do what is probably the right move for this team, and that's not playing him right now. He cannot move physically. And that's unfortunate. I hope over the next two days, he has some type of magic healing and he's ready to go. But what are the odds of that happening? And now the other part of that is with him struggling, it's leading to more turnovers. And it's not just him. I I looked at it today and I couldn't believe this stat. I mean, I could believe the stat, but it's almost like you can't believe it because this shouldn't be an issue. But the Saints have the most turnovers in the NFL right now. Nine of them, five of them being picks, four of them being fumbles. And that is a huge problem. I can't just say, hey, Jameis is turning over the football, which he is. Because Mark Ingram's got two fumbles. Alvin Kamara had a costly fumble last year, uh, last week. Chris Olave had a fumble in week two. I don't really care about the Chris Olave fumble. They're already going to lose that game. But again, that's a fumble. It all counts the same. There's nine turnovers through three games when you're not moving the ball on offense and you're turning it over and giving the other team extra possessions. I don't expect, I don't, and I don't find any way or expect them to win a game when they're playing that style. And it's not just the offense, by the way. I want to make that very clear. I've talked about the Saints offense and how it looks like a mess right now. The special teams has looked really bad, too. It's kind of been the silent killer. For everyone that knows that I love the office and I talk about when Michael Scott tells Toby, you're the silent killer, go back to the annex. Special teams has been shockingly bad. The the return of Will Lutz was supposed to kind of change the kicking game and and solidify that spot. And I thought it would after week one, right? Makes the 51-yard field goal against the Falcons. You're feeling good about it. Well, let's has three missed field goals on the season. Now, one of them is blocked, but that's still three missed field goals through three games. That's not encouraging for a guy who was supposed to solidify the kicking game. So that's a concern as well. And the last thing that I really want to, you know, dissect before I go into the comments that you guys are dropping on YouTube. And if you're listening on Twitter and want to come over to YouTube and drop a comment, you can. I'll let you guys kind of decide what we talk about for the last 10 minutes of this podcast. Alvin Kamara, man. Needs to be used more as a pass catcher. I-, I talked about this on Monday. I talked about this on Sunday. I talked about this on Tuesday. And I'm going to talk about it today on Wednesday night. You did not pay Alvin Kamara to be a between-the-tackle standard running back. Because if you wanted to do that, you could just go sign one off the street and have them do that for you. You paid Alvin Kamara because he is one of the most unique playmakers in the National Football League with his contact balance, his ability to make you miss when you're in a phone booth with him. All that type of stuff, that's what makes him special but you're not giving him that opportunity to make him special. Now, part of that is the quarterback. Jameis is not from his MO, a type of guy that goes check down and then looks down the field. He's really a look deep, look middle, maybe check down, but by then he probably got rid of the ball. So that does hurt Alvin Kamara's production. But the Saints also got to scheme up some stuff too, whether it's an option route or wheel route, find ways to get Alvin Kamara in a spot where it's a mismatch. There's a lot of ways to do that. The Saints have done it for so many years, especially when they had the Drew Brees offense going 81 catches, 81 catches, 81 catches. You could pencil them in for 81. Since the last two years, I believe the number is 52 catches that he's had. Not nearly enough. Alvin Kamara, use it more as a pass catcher. I will keep saying this. 
until the Saints solve this problem. And if they don't solve this problem, it just makes this offense a lot worse. So please, with Michael Thomas banged up, with Jarvis Landry banged up, use Alvin Kamara more in the passing game. I can't say enough. So please, 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 Saints, figure that shit out. All right, now, without further ado, guys, I'm going to go into the comment section, see what you guys are dropping in. Obviously, you keep putting in more comments, suggestions, predictions, questions, whatever you want, and we'll do that. And this fan-generated portion of the show is presented by Neutral Vodka Seltzer. Real vodka, real juice, refreshingly simple, tasty, and uncomplicated. Neutral, the official seltzer of the Straight Up Saints podcast and Boot Crew Media. So I see you guys brought this up earlier when I had Matthew on. You were talking about the run defense and how they need to step up this week with or without Dalvin Cook playing. I think the Saints' run defense has kind of found what they need to be now. I'm not saying they play great against the Panthers, but you didn't watch that game against Carolina and be like, oh, man, that Saints' defense has to step up. No, you watched that game, and you wanted to rip your eyes out because the offense played terribly again. That, that was the main takeaway. And I think for the Saints' run defense, they struggled in week one, terrible performance, but the way they bounced back against the, the Buccaneers and Leonard Fournette in that attack, it gave me confidence. And then in week two, you look at Christian McCaffrey. I know he had over 108 yards. I uh, had over 100 yards, 108 to be exact, rushing. I, I'm still not really overly concerned about this run defense. I, I think this is a unit that will have its days where it'll look dominant like it did in week two. And this might be one of them. And, and again, Dalvin Cook's battling through the shoulder injury. And even if he's not in there, like you mentioned, they got to step up. And I, I do think they will. So I saw this one before, and I really don't know the answer to this. So does playing in London count as a primetime matchup for Cousins? I see some of you guys saying yes and no. Look, it is nationally televised. It's on NFL Network. It'll be streaming on NFL Plus. But it's, what is it, 8.30 in the morning for us? So it's, you know, in the you know straight up in the morning. I guess it's still a primetime game, though, right? Big lights, London, a lot of people watching that one, international game. I'm going to say it's more of a primetime game than it isn't. And hopefully for the Saints, that is the case because... The numbers don't lie. Kirk Cousins is not a good quarterback in prime time. It's not one of those narratives that people make up just for fun. Like, it's a true narrative. He has struggled in prime time. So I'm going to go yes. I know a lot of you guys saying some yes, some no, but I think that is something that uh, right now I'm going to lean towards yes. Let's talk about Deontay Hardy, someone writes. And, and I, I would love to talk about Deontay Hardy. And we could talk about a lot of things here. We could talk about that he's dealing with an injury. We could talk about that pre-injury. He was only fair catching the football and not really doing anything in the return, and maybe that's because he's playing for a new contract and doesn't want to get himself hurt. I don't know what the reason is, but I'm not saying that it's not the reason. I know I just used a double negative, but Deontay Hardy's contract situation has been something that's been a quiet storyline, I'd say, since the summer. You know, Deontay Hardy wanted to get paid, didn't get the long-term contract extension. The Saints have his replacement on the roster, on the practice squad, and Rashid Shaheed. Rashid Shaheed is an NCAA record-breaking return man. And I'm telling you from now, we can go revisit this video next year if we want. He'll be the kick returner for the 2023 New Orleans Saints. Now, I, no one really wants to talk about the kick returner of the 2023 New Orleans Saints. I get the whole points about Deontay Hardy. But Deontay Hardy's situation is complex because it's not just a foot injury right now. This is a guy who probably doesn't want to get hurt. This guy, special teams is dangerous, man. How many times has Deontay gotten hurt on special teams as great as he's been? You know, some of them being neck injuries. Guys are flying around. It's a scary thing. So I would imagine that plays a little bit of a factor. Jameis Winston's injury isn't causing him to miss reads and force feed Chris Olave. Or do you want to go with a double negative with isn't, isn't? I don't know. Either way, his, his injury is not causing him to miss reads. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've talked about that with a lot of people. The injury is not causing him to miss reads, right? 
missing Alvin Kamara open for a first down is not him. Oh, my back hurts. I didn't see Alvin Kamara. No, 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 no. He would miss him even if his back was healthy. However, the injuries do go on full display when he's not using his mobility, when he's not able to hit throws that you you are accustomed to seeing him hit. I've seen Jameis miss intermediate throws. He's missing a lot of deep throws right now. And you could take away whatever you want from Jameis in terms of what he's good at, what he's not. The one thing he is good at, really good at, is pushing the ball downfield. And the accuracy on those deep passes has not been there since the injury. So I, I think that, for me, has been the main concern. Need Jameis healthy for the entire season. It's worth a Dalton star to help him get there. Look, John, I, I've said this a million times, right? Why would you pay Andy Dalton if you weren't going to play him in this situation? I think that's what's confused me the most with the New Orleans Saints. You know, you bring Andy Dalton in, a respectable backup quarterback at this stage in his career who, let's be real, he probably, if you need him for a three, four-game stretch, can he win two out of those? Can he win three out of those? I think it's possible. Like, Andy Dalton can probably still start a couple of games. You brought him in here, huge upgrade over Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill at backup quarterback, and you don't use him for the exact situation that you brought him in for. So why the hell did you bring him in for? That's the question, you know? And if the Saints think this is one of those where it's like, all right, one more start, and then if it doesn't work out, we play Andy Dalton. Cool. That's three games that you would have done this now where you might have cost the team a win because you weren't willing to make the move that you should have made. I think the minute Jameis got hurt, and you saw in week two, man, he doesn't look good, you put Andy Dalton in, there's no quarterback controversy. It's as simple as saying, man, you are not healthy. We got to play the healthier quarterback right now because we have to win games. And if Andy Dalton ends up balling out, and then a controversy arises from there, then so be it. At least you have a winning record and you'll solve that out. Things are easier to figure out when you're winning football games. You know, so it, it, no one's going to argue over a quarterback controversy. If Andy Dalton came in and the Saints get to five and two, right? We're probably going to want them to ride the hot hand at that point. But the Saints are one and two right now and they're playing bad football and the offense looks terrible. And now people are picking sides and drawing lines in the sand about who they want at quarterback, and this is where it gets ugly. Loving this collab. I appreciate it. That's something I've wanted to do this season. I'm going to try to continue doing it. Uh, And obviously, you guys, I'd love to get feedback on that as well. If you guys do want that or don't want that, I want to have someone who covers the opposing team on every week so I can get a kind of, and you guys can as well, a little bit more insight on their team and what's going on, what's kind of the the mood and vibe around there. And, And hopefully, I'll keep that trend going. Is Mike Landry going to play this week? Jabari, I think that's that's something that we're going to have to wait and see. I've heard, and, and people have already reported, but I, I checked in with a couple people today. These aren't serious injuries for Landry or Michael Thomas. They're not serious injuries. Now, it's a matter of, do you play them today? Or today, I mean Sunday. Or do you give them that week of rest and hope that they're 100% the following week? That's possible. Now, I, I think if one's more likely to play, I kind of feel like it might be Mike. Mike's dealing with a toe injury that isn't considered severe. And I think that Mike was trying to give it a go against Carolina before they decided, hey, let's send him to the locker room. That makes me think, man, if it's a game that matters, he's in there. And in that situation, they were already losing by Carolina a lot. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. So that's where I'm at. I'm not saying either one's going to play this week. I think it's too early to tell. I think we'll obviously get our answer by Friday in terms of statuses. But I'm not overly concerned. And I'll go as far to say this, and I was talking about it on Twitter today with a couple of pals. Chris Olave alone just being there makes this receiving core good enough compared to last year's, right? Because Chris Olave has to be, at the very least, the co-favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. What he's done the last couple weeks, he looks fantastic. So we'll see what happens there. Is Pete Carmichael coaching for his job now? I'm going to say no. The reason I'm going to say no is because the great Deuce McAllister put out a couple stuff early this week about what's going on with the Saints. 
He made it seem, and Deuce knows more than me about football. And I think that's a good thing, right? We always got to know who knows more than you about stuff. Like, it's always good to have some self-realization. I do not know more than a guy who was a damn good running back for the Saints who knows the Saints pretty damn well. He was talking about execution being the problem, not the play calling. And now, I still have problems with the play calling, right? I said I would sit here and start slamming the table if they run it on second and 10 again. But if he's saying execution's a problem, then at the very least, it's 50-50. And maybe it's not 50-50. You give more of the blame on the playmakers who aren't making plays. So I I thought that was fascinating. I don't think he's coaching for his job right now. Now you keep losing games and the noise gets louder, maybe. But right now, I I think it's too early for them to say that. I gave the Saints the L when I read Jameis was the plan for Sunday. Killer injuries. It's tough, right? I saw a lot of people have that reaction. And and this is where when you mismanage a situation, you see the negative results. Because Jameis says plans to he plans to practice tomorrow, plans on playing Sunday. And a lot of people should be like, fuck yeah, man. Like he's going out there, he's battling through injuries. This is great news. But it's reached a point where you got people like, oh my God, this guy wants to start, or what is this guy thinking? And, then, and this is where the lines and the sides start to get out here and it's all Team Edward and Team Jacob in this freaking thing. Like that—that's what kind of happens now with with the situation uh, that the Saints have kind of put themselves. I think it would have been a lot simpler had they just rested Jameis when he got hurt and then figure it out later. But nope, that's not what's happening now. You have a situation where you got to hope that he's healthy enough, and I don't know if he is. Jabari says, "I personally feel like if Jameis doesn't play good this Sunday, Andy will be playing next week. I would like to think that Jabari." But I, I think that the one thing the Saints have showed me is they're kind of afraid to make change. And, I, and I'm not here to start ripping the Saints organization. If I didn't like the Saints, I wouldn't be doing a podcast on them every week. But the Saints have showed us through the last, what month is it? September right now still? They showed us through the last nine months they do not like change. Continuity is key, right? Continuity is key. That's why you kept uh, Dennis Allen. That's why you kept Pete Carmichael. That's why you kept a lot of guys in the building. But continuity only gets you so far sometimes, and sometimes you have to have the balls to make the move that best benefits the team, not the individual. And I think it would suck for Jameis Winston if they put Andy Dalton in and Andy Dalton starts playing well and then he gets named the starter. I, I would genuinely feel bad for Jameis Winston. I'm not even saying that's going to happen, by the way. Andy Dalton would need to play well and they need to be winning games. But he also needs to be playing well. They can't just be winning games. But if that did happen, that's a shitty situation and I feel for Jameis that would suck. But at the same time, this back-to-back bad weeks, I would argue the Carolina game was worse to watch to me because, man, there was open guys that he was missing. I thought he was making some questionable decisions all game long. He couldn't really move, and he should be sitting. These are, these are three injuries he's dealing with right now. It's like the whole Miami Heat thing, right, with the not one, not two, not three. By next week, he'll have four injuries with the cards that they're playing. So I do agree. I, I'd like to think that if another bad week happens, Andy Dalton starts against Seattle. But I can't promise that right now. Saints haven't shown us that they're willing to go that far. I don't understand how these coaches get paid millions of dollars and can't make obvious quarterback change while Jameis is broken. Look, that's why they get, they get paid the big bucks, right? They got to make the tough decisions and figure out what's right for the team. And, and a lot of people will be against that. I, for one, and we just got to hope that they shut us up, right? That, that's kind of it. PJ Williams is back to being horrible. Ellis is not Quan. Hey, I actually think Kane and Ellis was like the silent star of week three, but it didn't matter because the Saints didn't score a lot of points on offense. And obviously the big play to LaVisca Chenault kind of stole the thunder on there. But I, I actually think that Kane and Ellis has been fine, but I don't think he needs to be Quan anyway, because the reality is the Saints have a dynamic duel linebacker right now with Demario Davis and Pete Werner. As for PJ Williams, that is back-to-back weeks where PJ Williams gave up a costly touchdown week three being worse. 
I, I defend PJ Williams an awful lot of him being a role player, solid role player. But how you whiff on LaVisca Chenault and the play that he did in week three, oh, I don't know. I just don't know. It was a bad game. And, and if this trend continues, then you saying him going back to being horrible, it starts to get validated. Nodding about Kamara for passes. Yeah, look, th- this thing is, for me, I think that Kamara not getting used in the passing game is probably the biggest issue the Saints have had over the last couple, the last two years now. He, that, that's where he excels, man. I know it used to get tiresome watching the Drew Brees checkdowns and, and nonstop just almost abusing him in that sense. But how many of us probably miss that right now, right? And not just the Drew Brees part, just the fact that Kamara is being used as a pass catcher. That's where he makes his money. It's easy money. They should be doing it. Can the defense get more sacks? Also, is Honey Badger still him or that guy? So I'll answer the first thing. I think the defense is going to start to uptick in sacks, right? I think it's coming. They, they had some against the Panthers. I think they will have at least two to three against the Vikings. I truly feel that way. And I think that we will start to see that number go up. As for the Honey Badger question, I don't know. I, I joked on Sunday that I think Honey Badger is just here for vibes right now, but he hasn't really had that explosive play yet. Could it be learning the new system and getting down communication? That's certainly possible. But eventually, you kind of want that pop, right? You look at Marcus Williams, what he's doing in Baltimore. He's having a season that still early, only three weeks. But for three weeks, he's been an all-pro safety. So I'd like to see Honey Badger finally have that big pop play that you pay him for. No, it's been three games, but their season's pretty much over. They'll most definitely lose this game by a long shot, which saddens me due to the waste of talent. Such pathetic games against bad teams. Now, I don't actually think, look, I was heated on Sunday for those who watch. And, and, and I've said that this team right now is not meeting expectations. And this almost seems like a season that could go down the gutter, but it's not over. And I, I've said this before. London has found a way to cure the Saints woes in the past. And I'm not saying it's going to happen this Sunday, but if the Saints do right the ship on Sunday and do get back in the wing column, all of a sudden the schedule opens up and it doesn't look nearly as daunting and haunting as it looked last, you know, last summer, this past summer, I should say because you play the Seahawks after, then you play the Bengals. Granted, the Bengals still have a great roster, but they look like an easier team this year than last year in terms of opponent-wise. You got games against the Raiders that suddenly looks a little bit, I'd say, favorable, more favorable than it did in the past. Games against the Cardinals that look more favorable. So I'm not saying that this season's over. I, I do think, though, that it kind of feels like a do-or-die situation. On Sunday, one and three is a really tough hole to fall in, and I think that is where you reach the point where... Now you got to worry. Is the locker room under control? Does Dennis Allen have this thing? So I'm not saying it's over, but I will go as far as saying as this Sunday's game might feel like the most will be a must-win game this early in the year. No doubt about it. Roby needs to be off the field more than on. We're missing Taylor. Alante Taylor's injury is just brutal, man. Absolutely brutal. Timing was terrible. I'm sitting here talking about it. How he needs to get more time on the uh, on the field and ranting about him after the week two game and raving about him, I should say, not ranting. And then he goes on IR, which is just peak Saints luck. But I, I think when he comes back, if he does come back this year, he does deserve more time. You're right about that. And Roby, we got to hope that Adebo is ready to go this week in a full slate. Did not have a lot of snaps last week. Put Roby out there. I think Roby's been kind of the weak link of this defense so far, which is frustrating because the Saints got rid of Gardner Johnson because they felt like Roby could hold it down. And right now he hasn't held it down. And you guys know how the rest goes. Do you think the lack of offense success lies more in the coaching, the chemistry, or the execution? I think it's a lot on the execution, but the predictability doesn't help, right? And, and again, I don't say it just to be funny when I talk about the second and 10 and, and them constantly running it and me complaining about it. 
first down, if they have an incomplete pass and they're running it on second and 10, they're setting them up in the third and seven. That's a predictable passing play where the defense knows that they got to pass the football and that's just not putting you in a great spot. So that's where I blame coaching, where I blame their execution are moments where Alvin Kamara gets matched up against a linebacker against Carolina and Jameis has to make a touch throw. And it's not the easiest throw in the world. That's a big boy throw that he's got to make and not many of them can make it, but you hope he can make it. And, and when Kamara's open and Jameis misses him, that's where you get frustrated when Adam Troutman's streaking over the middle of the field, wide open, and, and Jameis doesn't see him, that's where it's execution. When players are just not living up offensive line, not doing their duties, especially in the blitz situation, that is where execution comes into play. So I, I think coaching plays a part. And I think the predictability is putting these guys in bad spots. But there are moments where, look, players, the coach is coaching, the players playing. Right now the players aren't playing well. So that, that I think it's... I'll go 50-50, but I don't think the chemistry for me, what, what has really changed? You added Michael Thomas back in the offense, but he knows this offense already. And Chris Olave is the new guy, but man, him and Jameis are hitting it off well. So I, I would say chemistry would be the last on the terms of the list when I'm going down the, the problems here. Showing now in his later years, but I figured he would figure it out. We miss Marcus May a lot too. Yeah, Marcus May, that's a great point. Marcus May not playing in the Carolina game. That showed. They, they did need him out there. Avery Perkins writes, the issue with Kamara and the problems on offense stem from the same issue. This offense starts with the QB's ability to recognize the defense pre-snap and move the joker back into position. Yeah, look, I, th that's one thing about, you know, but James Winston that people don't talk about enough. The, the pre-snaps, th that's just not where he's going to dominate, right? If he's going to make those plays, it, it, it's those wow factors with the arm talent he has. You can make some stuff off script happen. Pre-snap is not his expertise, and it's just a shame because the one thing, and again, Drew Brees was great. So many things. It's so unfair to comp compare, and that that's my fault that I'm even bringing him up. But we, you know, we as fans, we're watching a guy who's just an absolute master at his craft in pre-snap reads, and then you drop down to, to Jameis, where it's not so much the pre-snap ability that he has, and it's more so so the arm talent ability, and there's a difference. And I, I do agree with that. They're not using Kamara the same way, in my opinion, and I, I think for them. At some point, you got to either get the right quarterback in that can do it or get it through Jameis' head that, man, you, you got to take the easy money sometimes. And we'll see if that happens, but I, I kind of hope it does. Jameis lacks the ability to recognize defense and the mismatch pre He doesn't process information fast enough. Yeah, look, if you're going to the back point, and I don't disagree with you, I think that we've kind of seen that, especially the blitz situation. People talk about, hey, the O-line's not picking up the blitz. Part of that's the O-line for sure. But man, you know, Jameis also has to read the blitz better. And that's something that he just hasn't done. And I know people make excuses, but he's been in the league long enough that if he doesn't read it now, uh, then he's not reading it now. And if he doesn't read it now, he's not going to read it later. So I, I, it's one of those situations that I just don't know if it gets fixed. I just don't. And if you're, if you're opposing teams like the Vikings, you're probably blitzing the shit out of the Saints this weekend. If you're smart and you see if they figure it out. And we'll see what happens. How does Winston not having an offensive mind coach hurt him? Uh, McVeigh was an offensive guru. Yeah, look, McVeigh is an offensive guru. I mean, look, this is every quarterback needs a good play caller, right? They kind of go hand in hand. And I'm not saying that Jameis wouldn't benefit from an offensive guru. He obviously will. I mean, look at Sean Payton last year. We all complained that Sean Payton didn't let them air it out enough. And part of that was the personnel. But Sean Payton was calling plays that were almost like fail proof, right? Jameis only had three picks through seven games, which is damn great. Now he's got five picks through three games. It's, you know, there's no doubt. Offensive play calling would help. 
But I do think that we're kind of seeing now, and, and Saints fans have to accept it, and if they don't want to accept it, that's fine. And, and that doesn't mean the Saints can't win games because the Saints can win games. But Jameis is who he is. You got to accept the good with the bad, and you got to hope the bad doesn't overwhelm the good. And right now, the bad's overwhelming the good. Last year, the good overwhelmed the bad. And there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. And I said before this season, I thought he'd be 30 touchdowns, 14 picks. That's what I thought. Right now, he's not going to hit that proje- projection that I thought way over the picks. Uh, touchdowns, he could get there. But it's it's just something for me where I'm a little frustrated as well. I just, I I expected a little bit better out of him. I didn't expect this, you know, MVP season. I've seen some people name him a dark horse. I thought that was ridiculous, but I, I did expect a little bit more. Do you think trades and free agents will happen in the offseason? Trades, yeah, I mean, the Saints have been busy in trades. I, I expect trades to happen. The Saints are always working the phones, and I wouldn't even be surprised they made one at the deadline if someone comes up that they feel like they can get, or maybe they're sellers at the deadline, which would be unfortunate, but you never know. The Saints are always working the phones. Uh, as for free agents, Saints haven't really been active in that department. I know they were active this past year with what they did with Landry and Matthew and Marcus May, but that's also because they lost a lot of big ones, so they had to get themselves in there uh, some some talent. That's why they did that. You've run play action 9.4% of all of the time. We aren't fooling anybody. Nothing on this offense is fooling anyone. I, I agree 100%, Mike. I, I watch this team, certain plays, I'm just like, no, you're not scaring anyone here. You know, it's, it, it's just, it's unfortunate. This offense should be scary with the personnel they have. The only thing is scary is watching them, and that, that's unfortunate. How do you think Olave will perform if he's our number one this week? I think he'll be damn fine. I, I would love to see Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry out there. Do not get me wrong, but if Chris Olave is the number one for the Saints, I think he'll do a damn good job. I, I said it when they drafted him, and, and we all said that. it wasn't just me. I'm not some here, you know, some guy claiming some bold take, and, you know, I, I called it. Chris Olave, he was well-polished, and, and you just knew he'd come in and do the job, so... Um, I, I think even if he is the number one, he's kind of been the number one the last two weeks, if we're being honest. So I, I think that he will continue to do a good job, even if he's thrusted into that role. And, and I, I don't expect it to change anytime soon. What I mean by free agency is that we see some players sign contracts for a few years, but sometimes those contracts cut short and go into free agency. Um, oh, oh, so do you mean, will the Saints have some players who sign contracts or have current contracts end up getting cut and going into free agency. Is that what you're asking? I'm sorry. I'm not understanding it. That's, that's probably on me, but if that's what you mean, um, then I don't know. I, I, th- I think that for the saints, I don't really see any of those type of circumstances. I don't think there's really anyone that they cut bait with right now. They restructured a lot of deals, which means they're on the hook for more money. So like guys like Michael Thomas, guys like Andrews Pete. So if that, if that is what you mean, then no, I don't really expect that. I, I do think though, you'll see some cuts and um, I don't think there'll be anything major, particularly, but the Saints also have free agents they're going to have to worry about as well. Deontay Hardy being one of them. I, I don't think he'll be back, though. And I do think for the Saints, the, the next step is figuring out what you're going to do with your, your players that are second-year guys and going to be third-year guys next year. You're going to have to save some money because Pete Werner and Paulson Debo, those are going to be players that you're going to want to pay, in, in my opinion. But free agency for guys that might have contracts right now that end up getting cut, getting cut short, I don't anticipate it. You could ask me again in January, and maybe my opinion will change, but I, I don't see it right now. With that said, guys, I'm going to end this podcast for tonight. I will be back on Sunday. Uh, Viking Saints in the morning. It's actually going to be my birthday on Sunday, so hopefully the Saints end that on a good note. Started on a good note, I should say. Ended on a good note. Uh, and we'll see what happens there. And obviously, I'll have a, a post-game recap here on Buku Media's YouTube page, so make sure you're subscribed to the page. Check out John Hendricks' work, a bunch of good Pelicans work going on. I know the Saints have not been playing well, but Pelicans are going to look pretty good this year. I don't know. It seems like Arrow's trending up for that team, so... Uh, stick, stay tuned and, and check out some of Buku Media's contact for the Pelotons. Uh, until then, guys, 
I'll have more update updates on the Saints injury report, what's going on there, and and uh, hopefully we got some positive news on Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry. Asked for this comment, first time finding you, enjoyed it. I appreciate that, Avery. Uh, every Wednesday night previews for the Saints upcoming games, and then the game right after the game's over. I'd say about 15, 20 minutes. That's when we do our recap show. So for anyone tuning in tonight, you enjoyed it. You want a recap show and a reaction show to what happened. Saints Vikings in London. We'll have that right after the game ends, but that's going to do it for this edition of the straight up Saints podcast, the destination for the who that nation. You're listening to the straight up Saints podcast.